This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 125 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and this time Jason Roberts on the show as well. Hey, Jason, how's it? How you doing? It's great, great to be back, Justin. Thanks. I can't believe we're at uh, show number 125, one and a quarter. That is actually pretty incredible. I mean, we're we're going to hit the 200 one day, and it won't be long at this rate. Yeah, not bad. So, what's the uh, what's the latest? Well, there's a number of different things, um, but maybe we want to talk about the. Um, some of the backlash about the UFO show. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Go on, because I know you asked me to read that 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 long comment that you had on the on the blog that you posted. So yeah, I figured you'd I figured you'd find that interesting. So yeah, the uh, and we won't spend too long in this because we just did a show on it, and yeah. I don't um you know beat the topic to the ground, especially since I'm sure uh, not everyone finds it as interesting as uh, I might find it. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to you know go on too long about it, but um. It was just interesting because um, one of uh, Donovan, uh, one of our listeners, posted a link, and and it was sort of a um, a debunking of the Phoenix Lights, the Phoenix Lights um, incident. Right, and it was written up in Discover magazine, and it basically said, "Look, you know these people. This is ridiculous. This Phoenix Light thing you know, incident just needs to go away because it was uh, just a bunch of flares, right? And people keep." You know, people keep uh, talking about it as if it was something special. And everybody in the comments is like, oh, you know, come on. Thank God. I'm glad you finally debunked this thing. It's ridiculous, right? Well, as it turns out, the, um, that's not true at all because the, the sightings occurred at uh, between 8, 8.15 and 9.30. And the flares were, not dropped, were dropped between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. They were two separate incidents. And uh, it's like... So the guy who was debunking it had his facts completely wrong. People had, and the, the majority of the uh, the majority of the sightings occurred at eight fifteen, with thousands of people reporting this gigantic, you know, black moving, uh, slow moving object. It was like a mile in length or something like that. It's an interesting thing for you, <clears throat> for you to kind of pick to talk about. I think. I mean, because I this I was thinking about this. I mean, me myself, right? I mean, pretty much I have felt that you know UFOs and aliens existed probably for the last 20 years, but it's kind of like a non-issue for me now. And also I'd, I wouldn't, you know, publicly try and defend it and get into it in the same way that, that I think you're doing at the moment. So it's interesting that you're doing that. Well, all I'm doing is this, all, all I'm doing is trying to, to make sure that people stick to the facts one way or the other. I, I don't really care um, whether it turns out that sightings are extraterrestrial or completely prosaic um, things like uh, planes or reflections on clouds or, or whatever, you know, I don't need aliens exist to make the world more interesting for myself. But um, what I guess I take exception to is when people um, take a haughty, a sort of a haughty, condescending um, tone when they themselves don't even have the facts correct. That's yeah, true. Well, because because it's it's almost like, I mean, it, it, even though it's not necessarily a religious issue, because there's there is a lot of information, you know, legal information and and, cap, and uh, data captured, people really treat it like a religious issue, because essentially, if they exist, then the whole kind of religious, <laughs> the whole religious stuff doesn't seem quite so compelling. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I'm not religious, so I don't really know how people are going to take it. I think there's probably a whole spectrum of, of, of how people would react to it one way or the other, whether, you know, depending on where they are on the religion scale, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it probably is different for everyone. You know, some people would think that it's at odds. Some people think they're completely orthogonal. Some people probably just think of them the same. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't really know, but, um, there's a lot of reasons why, um, you know, and it's a really complicated topic, so I don't really want to get too into it, but, um, because I think, I think, I think we've talked about it enough, but yeah. it's just what I'm, what I'm most interested in is, is talking about actual facts and evidence one way or the other, yeah. you know, and, and I, what I don't like is thing is people taking a tone and, and ridiculing other people when they don't have the facts one way or the other. Right. I don't, I don't, whether it's pro or con, I don't care any issue. I, I don't like, um, sort of, uh, when people don't talk in specifics and I think as, you know, people who write software, I mean, we live in the world of the specific, right? We have to look, what, what does this vary? What value does this variable have? <laughs> you know, right. what's this function return? We have to solve problems all day long that are all about very specific details. We can't just wave our hands and, and say kind of bullshitty things. It's like, oh, this is kind of true. It's other, otherwise software doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think most of our listeners are like that, right? They think in terms of specifics, you know, they, they deal with it all day long. And so, um, and I know I'm like that. So I, I just get frustrated with, uh, you know, with sort of the, uh, I don't know, the vagueness and the, and the, and I think what happens is, is that, um, the whole, on the whole topic, I think a lot of people, there's been so much, you know, there's, there's so much myth and BS associated with it. I mean, 95% of sightings are, uh, you know, hoaxes or, uh, you know, or just misidentifications, but there's 5% that are legitimately unexplained that there has been no reasonable explanation, right? But it's, it's interesting to me because you'll, you know, you'll often preach to me, well, no, preach is the wrong word. You'll often advise me um, about, you know, picking fights and, you know, if you pick a fight, you've got to stand behind it. Um, and it's interesting that in a sense, this is a fight that you, you, you're picking now, you know, it's a fight that you're kind of getting into and it's, it's a pretty kind of big fight. I mean, as usual, you don't choose something small. You well, you, choose yeah. Something- I mean, even to go out, <laughs> even to go out, even talk about it in public. I mean, you know, it's like people really start questioning your credibility, right? They say, well, look, the fact that you like Jason, the fact that you even think about this, that you even give it two, two minutes of thought makes me question whether you're even a serious person, Right. That's, that's the risk that I take. And I'm like, I'm not going to be cowed into um, not thinking about something because somebody else is, you know, might threaten to ridicule me. I don't give a damn. You know, I have enough confidence in my uh, own intellect and my ability to reason about facts and evidence that I don't, I don't have to, um, I'm just not going to worry about it. I don't, I don't care. I'm not insecure about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the other thing I would say is though, is there's, it's not. It's just because I'm willing to interview um, Leslie Keane, who's an investigative journalist, who's tried to present what is the most credible evidence, doesn't mean that I believe, you know, um, you know, even five or ten percent of all of the uh, crazy stuff that people say. Right? right. Right. All I'm saying. All I'm saying is like, listen, you know, just along along with you know uh, Michio Kaku and uh, all these other you know brilliant people who who wrote forwards and 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 um sort of nice um comments about her book it's like the stuff that she covered was really was really interesting and it was really compelling and um and for you to pretend that it's that it that it's not true just because 
there's a lot of other stuff out there that is BS is, um, is, is not rational, right? Well, I think that's, I think that's a very kind of succinct um, response to the whole issue. And I think that gets it across. Uh, we're like, we're, we're eight minutes in. I'm, I'm glad we got that yep. out of the way. Um, so yeah, so on to other things. So, um, <laughs> yeah, because here's the reality is regardless of one way, it doesn't really affect anything. It's yeah. just, it's like, it's like, it's the way I think about it is it's interesting. Like talking about the singularity is interesting. Talking about the future of computing in 10 years from now, talking, it's interesting to talk about, yeah. right? It's interesting to think about. And I don't think people should be afraid to, um, to think about interesting things. Well, it's funny because like Adam, I mean, Adam Curry talk, talks about it all the time and he doesn't yeah, get Adam, Adam Curry. <laughs> believes every crazy you know conspiracy yeah <laughs> you go, okay well you know then then you're like well what if he believes everything then he loses credibility right i mean if 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 you believe everything that you every conspiracy theory every uh, i don't know alternative hypothesis that then you just have no filter right you'd have you're you're just um there's no credibility just like as if you believe nothing that anybody says except if it was written it was if it was spoken on cnn in which case you're sort of at the other side where it's like well you're, um, you're unable to really reason on your own, right? Well, I just want to state for the record, just to be clear, this is to anyone who who doubts which way I think one way or another, I definitely believe in the existence of some kind of extraterrestrial craft. That's just my personal belief. I've believed that for 20 years, and I don't really care about talking about it too much, but that's just what I think and what I believe. And I believe that, what do I believe? I, I find the evidence in, uh, intriguing, uh, and uh, that's and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. That's about as far as I'll go right now. All right, so let's talk about Epic Night. No, let's. I want to talk about something else first. You, oh, you want to? What, what do you want to talk about? I've got well, a few different one, things. Okay, uh, number one thing is um, I want to ask about your whole outsourcing effort. Outsourcing? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, that's like uh, that's. I think it's it's really uh, that's going to be a great topic because you've you've done a lot of you've done a lot of work in that uh, over that on that for the last week, right? Yeah, outsourcing. Well, we've we've had quite a few people on the show recently, and they keep bringing it up. So I thought I'd investigate it, and also had a thought about it, especially what Ruben said, uh, Ruben Gamers, and it kind of made a lot of sense. Because um, when I think about it, there's so much that I want to do to plug you, right? And if I could successfully outsource for a price that I could afford. It would be kind of awesome. I mean, I, I like I manage people in my main job, you know, so I'm pretty used to managing people. I know how that works. And sure. if I could just have a pipeline of pro- of uh, product features and see them kind of created, that would be basically awesome, and it could really make a difference to Plugio. Especially if the console, if the uh, outsourcing rate was reasonable, right? Oh yeah. And Which, if you're if you're if you're paying fifty or hundred bucks now, or you're paying sort of domestic rates, then it would be, you know, maybe not make sense financially for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you found some people who were much less expensive than that overseas, right? <laughs> a lot less expensive. So what I did was I went to odesk.com and basically I uh, gave a, a broad, um, outline of the job and said I was looking for someone full time. And what I did was I searched for people on Odesk who were less than $10 an hour, $10 or less, who basically fit the kind of criteria that I was looking for, you know, PHP coders, new jQuery. And I kind of assumed that in different places like Philippines and India that you'd be able to get people for $10 an hour, right? And I figured that I could probably pay someone full time, maybe maybe six or seven hours a day at $10 an hour, even from the revenue that Plugio is earning right now. Right. So it, it kind of made sense. And um, yeah, and so went out and found about 20 people. And then I put together a test uh, for them to do. 
and submit. And so uh, these 20 people kind of responded back and said, yeah, I'm interested. You know, so Wait, what kind of test was it? So the test that I put together was basically, I, I did it like a mock-up in Balsamic mock-ups and it was just a real simple page um, that was basically two divs and the div on the left, you, you could enter some, you could enter like a Twitter account and the div on the right, it just showed the tweets from the Twitter account. Okay. And okay. that, that was basically the test. Um, no one did the test. <laughs> they, okay. I got quite a few people responding back. Just one person did the test, but not, and I'll get into that in a second. I got quite a few people responding back just saying, this isn't a test, this is work. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to do anything that's work. Which is what I said to you too, right? Which is, yeah, which is exactly what you said, right? I, well, we talked offline and I said, I, I said, I asked if you're paying, you're offering to pay them for the time to do the test. And you said no. And I was like, well... I'm not sure that's going to work because I know if it was me, I wouldn't be so interested in, in, in doing something like that. You know, not getting well, paid. I mean, I guess, is, it de- I guess it depends on everyone how badly they need the work or, you know, whatever. But I would have been totally happy to pay for the test. I just didn't think about it up front because to be, to be bluntly honest, like this was for a full-time job. I mean, it was pretty clear that it was for a full-time job and the maximum this was going to take, if you were any good, would be like an hour, two hours tops, right? Sure. So if you're, if you, I mean, Jesus, if you're applying for a full-time job, wouldn't you do an hour test? I mean, wow. Yeah, that's true. But they're overseas. It's sort of an outsourcing thing. And so I, I, I think people are worried that they're being scammed. It's one thing if someone was interviewing for a job and they showed up to an office and they said, listen, you're going to do a you know, programming test here on premise or whatever. It's another thing. It's like they've never seen you, they've never met you, and they, they're in it. It, it, almost, it almost looks like you're trying to get them to do some work for you. I see. Yeah, I, no, I, I mean, I, I picked that up and I got that. And uh, that, that was a sense that I got from most of the people. So I kind of responded to those people and said, hey, listen, I'm perfectly happy to pay. You know, that's not a problem. I'll pay your usual rate. Didn't get any responses back from anyone. And just one, one person basically just said, okay, I'll do the test. And, uh, you know, half a day later came back and sent me a link to the test uh, okay. that, that they'd completed. And just, it was completely wrong. They didn't really do it the way that I specified. <laughs> it worked, <Okay. laughs> but it wasn't the way that I specified in the slightest. But at least it was working. It was pulling the data from Twitter. You could navigate through the left. But they, the main thing I said was use this JavaScript file. Because basically I supplied a zip that kind of had like a semi-populated JavaScript file. And I was like, do the test in this JavaScript file. Just write your code here and uh, send the zip back to me. But they just did it on their own website. Okay. Um, which is okay. Um, I mean, at least, you know, at least they did it and it worked. And obviously they used, they didn't use the libraries that I supplied because um, I supplied libraries, which would have made it really quick for them to do it. They used different libraries. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but fine. You know, the point is, is they kind of got something, they got it worked and they actually did a test. So um, just in honor of that, I said, okay, look, you know, I'll try you out for two weeks um, and see what happens. So, so what they demonstrated is that they were relatively competent at writing code, but not so great at following directions might be the problem. That might be the problem. Exactly. So, but, but, so then the other thing that that came back out of it was that their rate was $5 an hour. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, (laughs) well, certainly pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's their main rate and and certainly for a two week test. I mean, if, if they're, if they're even remotely can do stuff, you know, even just basically do something, do something in PHP and tech and it's, it's useful then that is kind of pretty... You'll do that all day long? That's pretty astonishing. I mean, you know what I mean? But so well, I, I, I kind of discussed with the guy in full, like, what's the deal? You know, how can you charge $5 an hour? 
And he said that in, in his town, they have the typical Indian outsourcing shops. And in those outsourcing shops where, so when you go through Odesk or Relance and you connect to a company and you'll pay $10 an hour kind of thing, all the people who work for the outsourcing shops in his town, the maximum they earn is $600 for six days, a, $600 a month for six days a week, 16 hours a day. And basically they need to work 16 hours a day, six days a week to get that 600 bucks, which is a, basically about $1.50 wow. an hour. It's $1.50 wow. an hour. That's that's amazing. That's that's uh, wow. It's pretty amazing. Just the difference in labor arbitrage that people can live off that little. Obviously, I'm sure they don't live very well. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. So, so, so he will, would be working for me for basically seven or eight hours a day for five dollars, like three times more than anyone else in his town. And I, I'm assuming that he probably would still keep up with the general work ethic of sixteen hours a day, and probably go and work for someone else for one dollar fifty for the for the extra hours. Wow. Well, I mean, I would, I would think that you would want him to work over a certain number of hours a day just because, you know, your, your, um, your efficiency drops off. Right. Right. It's after somewhere between six to eight hours. I mean, it's different for everybody and it, and it probably depends, uh, you know, on any given day, but your, 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 um, productivity just drops off. It just kind of the, the, it's the, what the rule of diminishing returns. I, I, I would not want someone who works for me to work longer than uh, just a normal eight hour day but i don't think i have much of a say in the matter i mean they'll they'll probably just do whatever they want if they can get other work on the side well okay i'm just i mean but you, you probably wouldn't want him billing you more than that many hours a day oh no 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 definitely not okay. I, I i mean I, I i've already limited that on elance so it, it, oh, it, yeah. it, is, it is a maximum of eight hours a day but what i'm saying is is i could imagine that given that everyone else in the town works this way and that's the general psyche and the general work ethic he's probably just going to find a second contract to fill the extra six part of the 16 hours that he's not doing that's interesting you know you hear that all the time about like um how much would people work you know if they could make a lot more money and and people don't always work that extra amount they'll just they're, they're like happy with a certain amount and then they're just like it, it whatever added money that they might get pales in a comparison just for the need to rest and spend time with family and friends and things like that. And, I, you know, I, I wish I had read something on that recently, but so it's kind of foggy in my mind, but I know that there's a, um, there's some studies that about that. So if you just, if you presented to somebody, okay, look, you can make, you know, I'll pay you, you know, a thousand dollars an hour, how many hours you work? Well, you're not going to work 15 hours a day every day, just so you can, just because you're making such a high rate, you might just be like, you know what, <laughs> I'm done after eight or 10, it's enough. Well, he said that the, the absolutely high, I said, what's the highest possible rate that anyone earns in your town, like the absolute superstars? He said that's like $10 an hour. Yeah. And you mentioned, didn't you mention that you were going to up the rate if they proved that be really? I'm, yeah, yeah. Of, of course. Of course. That's, that's, uh, I think that's really, that's really um, nice of you. <laughs> um, so let me, have you, have you started, has he, has he started doing work for you? Yet? Well, apparently he starts. So, so, so I spoke to him um, on, I think it was Wednesday. And okay. since that time, we, we kind of made the agreements and he was going to be starting on Monday. And I haven't actually seen him online or heard anything from him since that point, but he's just agreed that it's going to start on Monday. So I don't know what's going to happen, but what I have been doing, so it, it may, I may just never meet him again, <laughs> right? That might be the last year of him. But, huh? uh, but he, he has kind of agreed to the terms on, on Elance, so it's kind of set up. Um, and actually, remind me, we, we should talk about Elance and the protection that you get through Elance by paying someone through Elance versus kind of not paying them through Elance. But anyway, we'll get back to that. Okay. Um, so what I've been doing is I have 
put a lot of time into making videos that outline the tech behind uh, Plugio. So screencast. You yes, made screencast. Screencast, exactly. So I've, I've first of all, my first screencast is basically how to install a local version of Plugio. Um, and then another screencast that basically outlines where all the code is and the directory structure. And then other ones about just, just basically like as if I was doing a screencast about how Cake PHP worked, but just about Plugio. Just explained it in great detail. Right. Yeah, I, I saw, I watched one of the videos and it's really good. Oh, awesome. You do a great, you do a great job. You're very, uh, you're a natural, I think. <laughs> so what, which one did you watch? Uh, I, just the one installing it. You talk about, you know, editing your host file and creating your directory structure. And, you know, you talk at a nice even pace. You are, your description or what you're describing is very well synced up with what you're actually clicking on and doing. Um, you go in small steps, so you're not skipping steps to where, you know, they're going to get confused and be like, I don't understand what you just did there. You know, I, I think you do a good job. So well, what do you think about the uh, fact that the Plugio can genuinely be installed in like four minutes <laughs> onto a local onto a local system? I think that's good. I think it'd, it'd be harder for you to outsource the work if it took them three hours. And <laughs> well, no, but t- typically speaking, it, it, it does take that long. I mean, it's it's only because of, uh, you know, trying to get trying to make that happen for so many different projects over the years. Like there's there's a lot of things that you need to do to make that happen. It's It's really difficult. Especially when something is um, deployed in on multiple different environments, and you want it to Mac work. Mac and PC, and yeah, everything. Mac yeah. PC. You want it to work live. You want it to work locally. You want it to work on whatever whatever environment you're going to put it on. And the the the, key, the main trick that I found is to put all of the code in the web directory itself. And that's there's security issues with that, right? So if so, if you put all because you know that that one of the big security things is to basically put the bulk of your code outside of WebRoot. Okay. And then you kind of do a symlink to it or something like that, or, okay. or you access it a different way. But basically, Plugio has all of the code in WebRoot, but then it uses HT access to block, ac- block access from the real world, so no one can get access to it anyway. But it just means that people only need one directory. They can dump the entire thing in one directory, and it kind of, it's up and running. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple things. I. You, I, I think you might want to consider um, looking, finding at least one other person, if not two other people, especially at this rate, and comparing them against one another. Because if you only have one person, you start like having certain types of problems, or your expectations aren't being met in a couple ways. You could be drawing conclusions about outsourcing in general. It might just be this particular individual, right? And if it's that cheap, um, and I don't know, it, it might be worth exploring. And see if you can. Well, no, still- you're absolutely. I mean, I've been thinking about that. That's kind of the reason why I've made the videos as well, so that it's really easy to just from this point forward, it's going to be easy to outsource because everything's described so clearly. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because otherwise, the whole I guess the setup phase, the whole getting to know you and explaining the project, just takes forever. If you can sort of make that, um, you know, repeatable without you having to do more work, um, then yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, and I think that'll really help. And I, I, I just think that, you know, it, it would help in a lot of different ways. One was obviously you'll, if someone, if someone starts to, cause someone can start off doing a good job and they just tail off for no reason. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you have things like that. Um, you have a situation where someone just accepts a different job, yeah. right. They want to do something else. In which case, um, if you had a couple people working together and maybe even working on the same code base, then you wouldn't have to get somebody up to speed again. Um, I don't know. Of course, the other thing is if you, you could end up finding two or three people and they're all good, and if you're paying them five bucks an hour, then you're making, you're getting, 
you know, 15, 20 bucks an hour, you know, 30 bucks an hour, you have two or three really sharp people making progress on a code base they all understand. Well, it's, I, mean, it, I mean, it's interesting. I was thinking about what, you know, what could I get, get the people to do? And I was thinking, oh, but there isn't really that much to do. And then I actually thought about it. I was like, hold on a second. There is so much to do. I could, I could catch up with Hootsuite kind of thing, you know, like I really could make some major headway and get some awesome features in there. Well, you, you, you've, you always talk about like, wow, this is, you know, a huge project, like competing with Hootsuite, or you talk about that sometimes and, you know, you, you'll say this project, you have to give VC funding. Well, maybe you don't have to give VC funding if you can outsource it, but outsource it in the way that you are outsourcing it, and it, it which is to say that you are the technical expert. You're the architect, you're the chief developer, lead developer, whatever, and you really set out the tasks for the individuals. So it's not like you're sending off to some firm somewhere and they and you're talking at a very high level what you want and they and they hand you back a big ball of mud. Well right? you, you know what I've I mean that just going on with that, right? In the actual first task that I've handed out, what I did was I basically talked through the task and showed the file that would need to be changed and explained the code file line by line exactly how it works and exactly which line needs to be changed from where to where and there's still like a large chunk of five six maybe even eight hours for them to do to kind of work out the you know the details because it's complicated it's that old freaking plugio has this bug right with um with the schedule with the rolling schedule um people can basically set a time window so that it's like from eight to five so it will only post tweets from eight to five but when they when they view the display it just set it, it doesn't take that into account so what it does right. is it just says it's going to post tweets all day long. It doesn't say I'm only going to post tweets between eight and five. And it's a pretty right. complicated piece of coding to do. Um, so I thought that that would be a nice kind of first task. But anyway, so just uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going on a side, side track. But just to uh, follow up with what you're saying, yes, I think that if I'm very specific, very specific with the videos and speak about the exact code and tell them exactly what to do, as long as they don't feel too like I'm being too overbearing, then I think it could work nicely. Yeah, I'd be really interested. I wonder if someone like yourself could have a a whole, I don't know, say not an army of developers, but a team of developers, all outsourced, mm-hmm. all competent, all working for what would be very solid, if not generous uh, wages for their, um, for wherever they live. And make a lot of progress and be able to compete with a firm like uh, Hootsuite. Well, that is that is an interesting concept because I could have ten guys, and then that's the same as me. You know, that's the same as Hootsuite. It's like all of a sudden I've got the same level of workforce as a, as a company that's funded. You know, got ten million venture capital. Now, for for somebody who's not technical, um, I think it, it would be near impossible to be able to do this very well. Because it's just like, it's like you or I, when we go to the mechanic and the mechanic says X, Y, and Z is wrong, or it's going to cost as much. We have no idea. Like, right. okay, I guess, right? Well, this it cost $2,000 to fix this thing. You're like, okay. <laughs> I really have no idea yeah. if that's true or not. And maybe you could take another mechanic and see if they tell you something similar, but it's so hard and you just accept. And so if, if it takes the developers, you know, two months as opposed to two weeks or two days, you have no idea if they're just BSing you. And, and also you just can't, you can never really verify the code. Uh, and until it's too late and that the project just doesn't work very well, you know, after two or three months of, of um, 
time and money spent. Whereas you can look after the first week or a few days of code and you can tell right away like, okay, this code quality is crap. They have no idea what they're doing. Or you can determine this person is pretty close. They need a little more guidance, but they're almost there. And you could guide them and uh, you might be able to get a lot out of them. Okay. Talking about code quality, that's a really good reason to use Subversion. So what I, what I did was I've created a new Subversion repository I've taken mm-hmm. all of the public API keys that were in the existing code base and moved that out and now basically give them access to this second version. So I'll, I'll be, I've essentially branched and I'll be working from that new version from this point forward, but they won't okay. have any, any access to any history, so they won't be able to see my public API keys. And I've set up a whole bunch of spoof accounts so that, once again, they can install it out of the box and they can start tweeting, but it doesn't plug into my main Twitter Plugio app. You know, in right. terms of the API credentials, so they can't screw anything up. It doesn't plug into my main email account, so they can't start sending spam or whatever. But it's good because SVN, it's really easy to distribute it to them. And I've only given them read access. So basically, they just make their changes and send me the files. And then I will essentially do the um, have the commit access, which is kind of how an open source project works. Right, right. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're doing all the right things. Um, I'm very actually very excited to... to um to hear how this story goes, how, see how it develops. Um, because I think, I think it's doable. I really think, I think it's doable. I think it's scalable. And I think actually you would enjoy it because you always talk about how you like to manage techies. Yeah. Right. That's true. And you, I also know how you get burnt out on working on a project after a while. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that you would have much more staying power if you just had to think sort of at a higher level, architect things, review some code, make some screencast, and then let everyone else do all the code, the, the most of the coding. I have a feeling that that would be something that you could stick with and keep um, the pace up much better than if you had to day in and day out keep cranking out features and fixing bugs. I, I think you're right because I really do want to push the features out there, but it's kind of come to the point where putting those features out, it's not really an interesting challenge for me. I mean, it's not like I'm going to learn anything by making those features. I mean, I love to learn stuff when I code. And I'm not learning anything. I'm just essentially really crossing T's and dotting I's about the features that the app needs to have, you know. And that's right. kind of boring to, to build. So I think you're right. I think I'm more likely to, to fill that in. And then what excites me is that the app's becoming a more rounded business and I can focus on marketing, which is essentially my new challenge. You know, marketing right. and business is my new challenge and not code. Yeah, and, and then so what part of that could be is managing a remote team, mm-hmm. uh, a distributed team um, could be your, another challenge. Like, how do you do it well? And I think, I think the uh, screencast idea, which is something you've been doing for your product anyway, but which is, uh, was a great um, thing we learned from uh, Ruben um, Gamez from yeah. uh, Sketch, um, that that turned out to be a, the best and most efficient way for him to communicate with his uh, outsourced development team. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I think it could be really cool. I, I, I think, but I think with it, what you're going to have to do um, and it will see if this is, ends up being true or not, is you're going to have to continually stay on the lookout for new people. I mean, there's a world of, I guess, um, of developers from, you know, I don't know what you call them, low-wage countries, you know, China, India, parts of Eastern Europe maybe, um, where, but it might take some work to find them. Mm-hmm. Just, like it's hard, just like it takes some work to hire a good engineer here in the U.S. or any other sort of first world country, right? I mean, just because somebody says, oh, I got, you know, 10 years of Python experience and I got a degree from so-and-so, they, you still might bring them in and they're just not that good for whatever reason. I mean, they might be smart or whatever, but they're not that productive or they're just not easy to work with or who knows what, 
right? And, you know, a lot of uh, top companies that have the ability to pick and choose will, you know, interview 10 or 20 or 30 people um, in person before they even pick one. I mean, not, not, that doesn't even count the resumes and phone interviews they do. Um, so in, in, in terms of you, I, I think what you might want to do is really think in terms of that, in terms of like just trying to talk to as many as you can, try them out for short periods of time and, um, and, and try and build them up slowly knowing that you're going to lose some over time. But I mean, if they're that inexpensive, I mean, it's worth it, I would think. So the other thing that was kind of scary and is scary about this, and we even discussed this with Ruben, is what protection do you have? I mean, you're just giving these guys your code base, right? They could just go away and basically make their own version of it. So his his kind of core answer was, well, at the end of the day, they don't have the SEO, they don't have the marketing. They could take your code base and they could they could build your product, but it's going you know they still have to do the whole business development. And I think that's true, but still, I would like a little bit of protection. And, well, um, talk to uh, talk to. Have you talked to Ruben about? I think he said he had an IP agreement that they had to sign. Well, this is this one I want to talk to you about is that Odesk, and this is the good thing about Odesk. When you and Elance is the same, right? So when when you actually, pay, although I say that, I'm just assuming that I haven't actually seen that, but I have seen it with Odesk. When you when people work for you through Odesk, um, because you are literally paying them through Odesk, the money goes through Odesk. They have had to sign a, uh, a confidentiality agreement, um, basically an NDA, also an IP agreement, and all those agreements are already signed based on any work that they get through Odesk. So anyone they work for, they, they've already kind of waived their IP rights. Right. Which is right. pretty cool. And Odesk essentially say, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but they say that, 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 that they will enforce it if anything, you know, if any issues happen. That's great. That's you know. really that's that's that's, that's uh, nice to know. Because if this works for you, I might end up exploring it. That's right. <laughs> because the the wage arbitrage is just too good. I mean, if if we're billing out at a hundred dollars an hour, yeah. Which, by the way, I've discovered isn't that high of a rate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talking to Pat, who bills out at a hundred and seventy five, I'm like, yeah. what am I doing? I'm like, Pat, guess what? You're my new. Uh, you're my new agent. <laughs> you're negotiating <laughs> for me from now on. <laughs> you're, you're awesome. $175 an hour. You're like 20, I don't know what he's, 25, 26 years old. Every time I ask his age, he's younger than that. So I think he, maybe he's like 12, but he's, <laughs> he's making a, I mean, so it, anyway, when you're making anything in the like, you know, th- uh, triple figures of consulting, right? And then, and people are charging five, seven, ten dollars $10 an hour, and they're even reasonably competent, and it's even reasonably efficient communicating. Yeah, that's just huge. Well, I am typically speaking about four times faster than than a kind of junior coder. So I'm thinking that, you know, I'm I'm imagining that for every one, you know one hour that I'm paying them, it's going to end up being four hours to get one hour, as it were. So I'm thinking okay. you're probably going to be like twenty bucks to get one hour. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what happens. But I, I think, think you that's try- something you need to take into account with that kind of arbitrage concept. Like, do because you're fast, right? And you're and and it, the other reason why we're fast is because we're working on our own. We, we both work on our own frameworks, and when you work on your own framework, you can be very fast because you know it inside out. And it's really hard for someone else to be the same speed as you working on your framework. And it's sure. hard to be some for someone else to be fast working on any any framework that they didn't write. 
Well, we're also, we're also, you know, we've been, we've both been doing this for like 15, 20 years or whatever, right? right? <laughs> we've got a lot of experience. I mean, it's not just our framework. Some of these guys who are outsourcing may have been coding for two or three years, you know? But if you take that into account with your arbitrage equation, it still works. I mean, let's say, let's say that's, you know, that they're, they're charging $10 an hour, they're four, but their four hours was worth your one hour. Mm-hmm. You're still going to make money. Yeah, no, it's still good arbitrage. That's no, no, no question about it. That's Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll see how the story uh, <laughs> plays out. <laughs> yeah. So something that we forgot to do the last discussion show, which I feel bad about, is we forgot to mention uh, MicroConf, which is uh, Rob Walling's conference that he's hosting that's coming up uh, June 6th and 7th. Is that right? In Las Vegas? Yeah, but we mentioned the hell out of it in Ruben's show. Yeah, but we need, we need to, uh, I think we need to just remind people on our discussion shows that, uh, that it's coming up. I mean, because, you know, Rob comped our tickets. He sponsored, I guess, effectively sponsoring the show. Mm-hmm. by comping us on tickets to so that we can go and uh, I guess we're going to try and record a show there right at least one show yeah you should uh, all of our listeners should come there and um, hang out with us that's going to be a lot of fun and if you go yeah, to any- oh, go on, you, you go no you go ahead go ahead I was just going to say if you go to uh, it's microconf.com right yes yeah so go to microconf.com buy a ticket and use the code texting and I'm sure you get something like $100 off something like that and then come yes. and join us we're going to have a lot of fun there yeah, you get $100 off. Um, I know Patrick McKenzie speaking, Sean Ellis, I think some other um, big shots. Um, you know, Rob will be talking. Um, you and I will be talking while we'll be there. I, and and I, pr- I promise that any texting listener who comes, and you, Jason, I'll take you all out to Applebee's. <laughs> Applebee's? <Yeah>. Awesome. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'd like to, uh, you know, you know, it would be kind of fun. I don't know. We got to do something creative with the podcast over there. All right, like what? Get a come. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe have some of our listeners if they show up and they're there, get them on for a few minutes. I don't know. We got to do something fun. I'm also thinking we should do like uh, record a little bit of our drive to Vegas, sort of like an on the road journal. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I don't know. We, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. We got to come up with something kind of creative that would be funny. But um, anyway. You know, well, because uh, we're, we're driving up with your your two daughters, right? Yeah, Colby, my son, won't be coming, but uh, my daughters, Izzy and Ari, who are, Izzy's almost five and Ari's three. I <laughs> gonna, think that the trip is just going to be about kind of making them happy. And <laughs> There's a certain amount of that. They'll have their moments, but we do this drive a lot. Right. And pretty accustomed to it do you and, have like a video in the car that you get them watching yeah, we, a have cartoon? A DVD, we have a dvd player that's built into the car and so we'll have you know tangled or mega mind or some show that they'll they'll be mostly uh paying attention to so okay. we should be good for most of the part um although i'm sure at times you're going to be you're going to be handing them cheerio bags of cheerios <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be awesome are we, are we bringing them to the micro conference I don't think so. <laughs> we're gonna leave those. So what we're gonna do is uh, you're gonna stay with um, me at my in-laws, right? Right. I mean, you you don't have to if you want to stay. No, in a hotel. no, I'd I'd rather. I'd, I mean, I'd rather do that. That'd be nice. I mean, uh, they have. It'd be they nice have to a, meet them, and it'd be nice to not have to pay for a hotel room. Yeah, they have like a giant, you know, Mick Mansion. <laughs> oh, nice. What's yeah. a, what's a Mick Mansion? Oh, it's just like full of I mean, Irish people. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just like these. Um, they're man- they're sort of mansions. That they're new, but they they look like they're they're. Um, oh, they're just- Muck Mansion. So it's like you're, you're using <laughs> Muck as a as a McDonald's, right? So it's like an off the shelf. Oh, it you looks like a, it do looks they listen like to the show? No. Okay. No. Good. Oh, no, it's 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 a beautiful home. Okay. Uh, it's just really big. So you'll have your own suite. 
you know. Oh, awesome. so it'll, it'll, be a nice place, it'll be a nice place to stay. So we can, um, we'll just get up, have breakfast, and uh, shoot into shoot into the uh, down to the conference. So that sounds, it should be good. That sounds awesome. So anyway, I hope I hope some of our listeners show up. And if you are thinking about showing up, uh, you know, fling us an email or, or write a comment um, on the show and, and let us know because we'll keep a we'll keep an eye out for you. Hopefully, we can at least get you know a handful of people there. That would be fun. Be a lot of fun to meet some people in person. Yeah, and I'm really so, looking forward uh, anyway, to it. And, uh, of course, you know, we we'll get to hang out with Rob again, which was really cool last time we, we got to talk to him. Rob's so, a hell of a nice guy. So if you get a chance to meet him, go, go talk to him. He's really, he not only knows what he's talking about, he's a super nice guy. So um, let's talk about, let's, let's go move on to you, and let's talk about App Ignite. Oh, <laughs> we got to talk about me. I do talk about, I talked about me. We talked Wait, to- hold on. You ask about Plugio every time we have a freaking discussion show. Why shouldn't I ask about App Ignite? All right, all right, all right. So what do you want to know? How's it going? How's it going? What's the deal? <laughs> it's going all right. You know, um, let's see. So the, the, the you, thing you that, sound like you sound like frustrated that it's not moving forward as fast as you want. I'm, I'm just I'm as frustrated as our listeners are that it's not released. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. Like if I wasn't me, I'd be like, what's the what's with this dude? Why can't he release his software? You know, I mean, it's. Just- but I thought we came up with some ideas last week about how, you know, you could kind of split it up into a smaller thing and, and release it. Well, not even two weeks ago, wasn't it? The last discussion show. No, that, it's, 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 I mean, it's easy to say something like that. Yeah. Just, just, you know, slice it and dice it and you're done. You know, like <laughs> do that in like three hours. I mean, yeah. give me a break. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah, no, I, I just don't see that being possible. I mean, it's, 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 it's possible to say, hey, I'm going to release it without some of the features done mm-hmm. right it's 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 possible to do something like that or that things just aren't as f- finished as they as they should be um so I, I don't know i have a few um a few of our listeners actually have emailed me uh since i mentioned it on the i don't know it was last show and i said that i um you know that some of the beta testers i was using weren't really using it as much as i'd hoped mm-hmm. and actually that's an interesting topic so I have a few people who are who are interested in in building some stuff, and if and, and if that will be really helpful, because if I can get a few people who actually have something they want to build, and try and build it, and App Ignite more or less works for them, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it falls short on a few things, then we're somewhere, right? If it doesn't work for them at all, then that's a problem. <laughs> so have but, you give, have you given them like access to it? Those people who are. No, I think what I'm going to do. I think what I do because last what I did for the few people, uh, the first few people is I gave them in-person demos, but that just takes too long. I think I'm going to do a screencast mm-hmm. because I can't. There's there's not enough. Um, there is, it, the user interface is not refined enough that I can just say, "Hey, just log in," and it's so easy to use that you can just you'll figure it out immediately. Um, but I can't afford to spend a half hour, forty five minutes with the, each of these people saying, walking them through, and having the same conversation, the same demo every time. It's just so not only kill me, I just don't have the time. So, so I'm gonna make do it, like two, spend two hours to four hours doing some screencasts, and then that will yeah, scale. Yeah, I might. Yeah, I might just make. Yeah, I just might make one five minute intro screencast that just kind of walks through everything and just say, here's the you know, here's the introducing App Ignite screencast. I and don't. Sh- I, okay. I think that you'd be better off. Fair enough. Do do like a five minute intro, but then also just think through the specific actions that people need to do. You know how to create a view, and just make like a one minute screencast about that. You know to create a view, do this, so that at least people have that library and that task specific library that they can go through. Honestly, it really it really helps. Okay, maybe I'm able to do it that way. But either way, I'd rather I'd rather 
create the screencast. It's just it's more time efficient because if I have five or ten people that want to do it, and uh, I'd rather just do it once and then say, "Here, watch these screencasts." That's you know what would be cool if you if you take the if you because that's what's really worked for Plugio is it's like a task by task screencast. The screencasts are like usually less than a minute, and um, um, all you do is you just keep track of the questions that people ask you. Whenever someone asks you a question, right? As long as you think that someone else is going to ask you a question, just do a one, a one minute screencast about it, and then put that on the library and then this kind of growing library of screencasts grows and then yeah when, incremental screencasting yeah exactly when new people come they'll basically have all their questions answered it's sort of a fact yeah except it's a video fact video fact and you'll be able to explain more because when you you know when you talk talk it through it's just easier and it's faster yeah, yeah, it's quick to good. make it yeah i'd like to i like to try i need to try my hand at that anyway i think that would be a good thing to do so what was actually kind of interesting which uh, you may have noticed from the comments um, from, I think it was the previous show or two shows back mm-hmm. when um, I mentioned that some of the, you know, some of the, you know, the I, three or four beta testers weren't really using it. I hadn't heard from them. So I assume they weren't using it. Oh, this well, is Lance, Lance Jones said, he said, well, actually the reason I wasn't using it is that I, as I changed my mind about the app, you know, so yeah. he changed his mind about the app that he wanted to build. And he said he, he was sheepish about admitting that he didn't want to, do that app anymore and wasn't using Epic Night. It wasn't that he even tried to use Epic Night. So I just made this assumption that it wasn't working for him in some way. And in fact, he just uh, had nothing to do with that, which is funny because, I mean, what do we learn about assumptions? What have I learned about assumptions when I assumed about the whole Google acquisition or non-acquisition of Frizo? I didn't hear back from a couple months and I assumed, you know, X, Y, and Z was happening as it turned out. None of that was true. It was just that they, the reason they hadn't got back to me is that it just fell through the cracks because, you know, different people thought they were handling it and then it just kind of got lost. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you don't just, make assumptions we don't hear from people. So you, so you, <laughs> you just know? made assume the same thing, basically. Yeah. You just, you don't hear from people and you just start assuming what they're thinking or what's going on. And uh, there's a good chance it's not even true. In which case, with Lance, it wasn't even true. And I think with a couple other people, I think the reality is that, um, just the few people who were, who expressed some interest um, just didn't have quite the interest at the time or need at the time that they thought they might, and they weren't using it. Not for any shortcoming of Epic Night. It's just that their own circumstances changed, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know how many times I have to learn that lesson in, in this life, but um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I think what I need to do is um, just like I was suggesting that you find a handful of good developers to outsource. Do. I need to find a handful of people who really actually can use and need to use something like Epic Night. I would right? say even just one. If you just found one person and just that would be started, I mean, that's that's all you need. One person who's really committed, um, yeah. and that's that's going to be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would even go. I, I would go as high as eight to ten. Um, five. I think. I think like what Ruben had suggested, which was like I think he went like half a dozen. Mm-hmm. Three to five was probably good. You have five people really aggressively using it for a beta version of a product, I think you're probably in good shape. I mean, it's not like you're Microsoft and you're going to roll out a product to, you know, tens of millions of people, so you have to have tens of thousands of people testing it. It's like, you know, you're going to roll out the product and, you know, 30 people are going to use it or a couple hundred people using it. So, you know, a good proxy for that is if you have three or five people actually using it. Mm, no, you know, I totally to be agree. Recent. So, and plus, you know, yeah, I, I just I think as, as Ruben had pointed out that you gotta, it's got to be manageable, right? I mean, you can't have, you know, 50 people all emailing you with the same problems. It's better if you have two or three people all emailing you and say, hey, Jason, X, Y, and Z is broken. It's like, okay, I've heard it twice. I don't want to hear it 20 times. Well, that's why kind of why I say one to start with. I mean, I always, <laughs> it's funny, we always have this this argument. 
Um, you say one and I say N. Yeah, because <laughs> because for me, everything is simpler when it's broken down to one. So the product that you're building, it, it's not just about bugs. It's about features. Like people are going to really have a lot of feature requests. Like even one person, when they're building their app, is going to have a ton of feature requests for, to, to basically do it because you're building an app to build all apps in the whole world. And so it just depends on what app that person wants to build. So if you start off with one, I can guarantee you they're going to have 10 feature feature requests by the end of day one. If you have five, you're going to have 50 feature requests by the end of day one. That's my my prediction about it. Yeah, probably right. You're probably right. Because um, <laughs> I know, because I have my own feature requests. Like I'm trying to use it to build this client project. And, you know, I have five major feature requests for myself. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, it's just the first project. So, and, and um, you know, d- one thing that this last sort of, I don't know what I'd call it, iteration, this last sort of, um, I, I don't know what I'd call it, but the last few weeks of work have been taken up with getting the voting and ranking stuff mm-hmm. because that had a lot to do with um, getting some Ajax stuff working. Yeah. Like how do, how do, how does that even work? Like how do we, what do we generate and how do we generate the code in such a way that's easy to override it? And then when you regenerate the code, it doesn't override the JavaScript. I mean, you know, the way I, way that works with the PHP, um, is that, you know, every, every, basically every file is a class and every class, um, extends a, a generated class. So it has like a base class, which is called, so let's say that the, the, um, you have a, um, a model called foo mm-hmm. <laughs> foo would inherit from foo underscore generated yeah. right so therefore you can go and write all kind of custom you know code override anything in foo if whatever the generated code is doesn't really work for you now i had to do the same thing with javascript and then i had to figure out like okay like how do we know what javascript files are included in any given file especially if you want to include them either at after the body tag or in the header so it's a priori you don't want them embedded throughout your html code no Right. But if you have a bunch of partials, you're like, well, this is a list view and that's a list view. So you have like three or four partial list views all in one view and they each have sort of their own corresponding JavaScript files. You know, you're like, well, I guess I have to embed the JavaScript tag in that partial. Right. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise the header, which which uses a header template, which has its script files or that or likewise the footer, which, you know, includes the tags at the bottom. You know, how, how do you know? So I ended up coming up with a solution where the views essentially have like a um, a static function called get JavaScript files, mm-hmm. and, it, and it returns an array of JavaScript files. And so each one can make a call down to its child views, child par- or partial views. And so it returns so that the 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 parent the top level view just call just calls get JavaScript files. It has a whole list of JavaScript files. Hands that to the header class. The header class then of course populates its um its header with all the script tags. That sounds right? like a good a good solution. Yeah, I, I had a lot of staring at the ski- ceiling <laughs> to figure that one out. It, 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 in retrospect, it seems kind of obvious. Well, of course, Jason, but it, when you're thinking about it, like, how the hell am I going to do this? And, um, and the automatically, we, inquir- we include uh, jQuery and, and uh, our extension class, which is what we call jQuery App Ignite, which, is the, um, which has sort of like our own specific widgets, like our voting and ranking widgets and, our, and things like that. Oh, cool. So you're building basically App Ignite uh, jQuery plugins on top of jQuery. Yeah, so uh, the way it's been working out, the work division is uh, Guyon has been doing more of that. So, um, you know, he's he's more focusing on the jQuery. I mean, we work together. We pair code, and I'll be like, all right, Guyon. So, here's what we just want this interface to, to work, right? This is how it needs to the the I mean, the interface, the programming interface mm-hmm. to this widget. 
Like we want to be able to upvote and downvote. We want to be able to be able to define if they can only do upvotes or our, our votes can be undone. Can you can undo an, uh, an upvote by clicking on it for a second time, kind of in Reddit or Hacker News? There's only an upvote or downvote, and once you do it, you, there's it's, it's hidden. So you need to be able to specify those and the options. Mm-hmm. So we're doing those kinds of things. So we got those all working really nicely, and then it generates a JavaScript a, a, a Java API a JavaScript API class called API Client is mm-hmm. automatically generated. And it has, so there's API client underscore generated or something. And then there's a API client, which derives from it. So then you can override the JavaScript if you don't like what the callback function does, or you want to add some functionality to it. Well, that's right? cool. I mean, you need to add that kind of flexibility for something that's, you're going to have a million different people making a million different apps, but it sounds exactly. very good. Very good. Yeah. And then of course, generating the server side. So if I'm, if there's voting. So like, for instance, you know, uh, for voting, you need to have like generate an upvote and a downvote and a delete vote, and uh, you know you need you need to generate it that corresponds for each object that's upvoted and downvoted, and so you have to generate all this code to make everything work. But this is just the kind of thing AppNet was built for because when I would do these, when I'd write these apps and I'd have to create all this Ajax, I'm like I'm writing the same damn stuff over and yeah. over again. I mean the server side API, the client side API, the client side functions the the tables i mean how many times am i going to write the same crap you know so so when do you and i'm not going to say when do you think you can launch it but when do it when when can you get um someone you know if if you found that person who was really passionate about building that's that very special person yeah it had to be you (laughs) when do you think you could uh, work with someone like that i don't know so what i'm going to do is i i I told udi udi Mm -hmm. Udi, let's say Udi. Okay, you say Udi. Um, you say Udi, I say Udi. Uh, well, he emailed me. He's one of the people. I think Aaron um, from PhraseMix. Yep. Um, they both emailed me, and I, bo- I told them both that, that I set up an account for them. So I don't know. I mean, I'm going to think about today. What I might do is play around with um, making a screencast and see if I can get something done within a couple of days. And if I get a screencast, then I'll, I'll set them up right away. Okay. I just don't cool. want to have to give. I just don't want to have to give both demos, as I, as I explained earlier. So you you wanted to um, talk to me about something. You wanted me to come clean about something uh, relating to my current living situation. I hey, you know what? I'm very brave of you. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think I think, <laughs> I think uh, it'll be helpful to talk about this for other people. So yeah, yes, let's hear it. Oh, well, um, so I decided. Um, well, myself and my wife, right, are in a certain amount of debt. Because you know the way when you use credit cards. Oh my God! You mean you're actually in debt? Yeah, we're in debt. How shocking! I can't believe somebody in this day and age would be in debt. No, Weird. and I know you're in debt as well. I mean, I know we're all in debt because it's so easy to just spend money on credit cards, right? But we kind of made a decision. Um, we we did this Dave Ramsey course. Have you heard of Dave Ramsey? No. Okay, so basically, he's this guy who just uh, just explains about. He has workshops about getting out of debt, basically, and right. why it's so bad to get in debt. And we were pretty sold on the fact that, yeah, it is actually a bad idea to be in debt and we're going to make a really concerted effort <laughs> yeah. to, to get out of it. No. Yeah, being in a debt is kind of like being overweight, right? right. It, everybody knows it's a bad idea to be overweight. Yeah. Uh, and, but a shockingly, shocking number of us find ourselves to be either really overweight or somewhat overweight or at least more overweight than we'd like. And it's just, it's, it kind of creeps up on you, just like debt. They're very similar. So we are probably... We, when we started this, so, so basically about four months ago was when we were thinking about this. And what we decided to do was to take a pretty drastic, uh, some pretty drastic action and to move in with my wife's 
parents. Right. So that we're basically living rent-free for six months. And it's not rent-free. We do pay a small amount, but for six months and then spend six months so we don't have to deal with the typical, you know, LA rent of like $2,500 a month kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's a smart idea. So we're trying to clear down some credit cards and uh, clear down some debt over that time. And it's it's obviously pretty difficult, you know, living in this kind of scenario. But we've, we've done pretty well. We've been four months we've been living here. and That's four months already? Yeah, four months. I thought it's been like six weeks. No, That's amazing. Four wow. months. And we've, we have one. When we moved in, we had one credit card that was 34 grand. And uh-huh. within four months, we brought it down to 14 grand. Yeah, that's amazing. So well, that's, that's exactly, that's why it's a smart thing to do, because otherwise it would take you like four years to get caught up or something, you know, and you get, you cut your expenses down really low and then you can get yourself out of debt and uh, yeah, you're in great shape. We were paying, I mean, we, we, we realized we were paying about 3000 a month in debt before we moved in. And then we, and that's really what we're trying to clear down. And you know, my Audi TT, right? Yeah, uh, we worked out that that thing's sitting outside, and I, I don't use it that much. I mean, I use it like three times a week. It's basically costing about eight hundred dollars a month <laughs> just to sit there. And That's be, brutal. And be that used three times brutal. a week, right? And it's not like you know you need a fancy car because you're rolling up on the honeys. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, so, so are you trying to sell it now? Yeah, I mean, and I just feel kind of. Oh, I just feel stupid for getting it in the first place. It, but it was my first car. I've always, you know, like I, I only just learned to drive like last year. So I wanted right, to have a, living in London and living in Ireland. You don't need one. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wanted to get something really snazzy just as a first car, just to have a go. And I, I already know that I don't even need a snazzy car now. You know, it's like Georgie loves you anyway. <laughs> well, I just mean for me, it doesn't really do anything. I mean, I don't, you know, cars don't really mean that much to me. That's what I've realized. Yeah, no, it's not. Well, possessions is like that in general. Possessions aren't, you know, it, there's an initial sort of high. You're like, yeah. oh, this is really cool. And then after a while, it kind of wears off. You're like, okay, so what? Um, but, then, but then you're left with the debt and the payment, which is the stress and the lack of freedom because you have all this uh, debt and, you know, they have these financial obligations. But you, you know, can't do what you want. You know that 34 grand credit card I was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. We were paying, when we moved in here, we were paying 900 a month on that. And I looked into the account and realized that of that 900, about 100 was paying it down. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, it's a fantastic, I mean, being a bank or a credit card company is a fantastic business. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> I just couldn't believe, I mean, because I, I didn't really look at it, you know, th- like think about it very carefully and look at it. And because oh, that's one of my kind of flaws, you know, I'm not very good in that kind of way. But then actually when I went through it bit by bit and realized just how much money was being thrown away every month, that was what convinced me to take drastic action. Do you think it helped? You, do you think your experience with plug you analyzing the numbers, growing it month by month, agonizing on a, how to increase conversions and things like that helped you in your ability to just get yourself to sit down and look at the, your personal financial numbers? No, I think that it was uh, basically my wife saying for this, <laughs> the, the exact same, because if you think about it, this, this started at exactly the same time as when I started revamping plug so basically, right. it, it was just, we came to a general crisis point that we needed to get our shit in order about money. Right. So that's what happened. So we, we just had a discussion about it. Well, we usually just, that's when things change is when people hit rock bottom one way or the other, right? Yeah, yeah pretty much. That's when people get off drugs. That's when, you know, things, you know, people get out of debt. It's like things just get too far and you get this reality check like, we have to change now. It's just, there's no more messing around. We, there's, no, there's no denying it. There's no pretending it's not that bad. It's bad. It needs to change. So that, well, that's fantastic. So 
your debt is getting wiped away quickly and you're going to stay there about two more months, you said? I mean, I just want to kind of back up and say one thing. We were living a great life. Like there was no part of our life where we felt like we were down and out. In fact, we were living in a beautiful three bedroom house in Glendale. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had my TT and we were living that fantastic life. The issue was that when we went to the Dave Ramsey course, it just made us feel stupid because it was like, hold on a second. This whole life is, is, is like a deck of cards, right? It's all, but it's so highly geared on all the debt that, oh, you know, we need to change this. Like I would much rather be in a position of having all of that, but with a hundred percent being in credit rather than all of that and paying off so much money. So it's kind of like, it was almost like a, a sin to be, to have enough money to afford that and pay three grand for no reason. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, the thing was, is that you, because you really didn't have the money, you were living beyond your means, which is what a lot of us do. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to fall in that because you want something now, you don't want to wait. Mm-hmm. And then you should put it on the credit card and then and the rates get jacked up. And then, I don't know, it just, it just happens. I mean, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll see your, your honest, uh, confession here and I'll, <laughs> and I'll, I'll raise you one. I'll, I'll tell our little story too, just so that uh, okay, go on. I think, I think it's all fair, right? So, you know, we um, we bought a condo here in uh, Pasadena and uh, around, I don't remember, it was like 2003 or something like that. And um, ultimately, we did, we did well on it, uh, like most people, but, and we took out a second, we, we took out some equity to, to uh, I can't remember, but we, we took out some money to pay off some other debt or whatever. I think to wasn't pay off it, some credit Wasn't it to do up the kitchen? Okay, but this is the first. This is early on, oh, right? Okay, so, already, right yeah. so, so it wasn't like, even though we bought it at a lower value and increased a lot, we took the equity out and spent it on paying off credit cards, mm-hmm. okay? And, pay, and any other debt we had. So we got, so wiped away our debt. And then what happened um, is, you know, it was like 2007. I think it was, it was um, around September, October of 2007. And we had been visiting uh, Sandy's parents and, we were dri- and they were on the drive back from Vegas. And I had been reading a lot um, of, of articles talking about the precarious financial situation, how the har- housing market was very unstable. Mm-hmm. And this was um, when they were talking about the, the first, the subprime was first starting to be mentioned in the popular mainstream press, mostly just in the financial press. But it was like, the sense was, look, this is contained. It's contained. It's not, it's not going to affect the overall global picture. It's, it's just, it's just a small part of the market. It's only these subprime loans. But I was reading a lot of sort of contrarian economists are saying that's not true, that this affects, it's just it's systematic risk. It's, it's all over the place. This thing is a house of cards. And, and so I started reading some and I read more and more and I was like, okay. And so we're, I was driving back with saying that's, listen, I need to talk about something. And she's like, what? And I said, the housing market is about to, about to implode any day now. I said, the train is, I said, we need to sell our place right now. And, and I said, the train is leaving the station. If we don't get on that train, we're done. I said, we need to just grab whatever we got and jump on that train. Otherwise we're toast. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you know, we need, I said, we need to, you know, we need to paint and we need to, you know, do some fixing, some, fix some things first. And, and then we get a fine age. I'm like, look, we need to sell now, mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> no, like right now, like in the next two weeks, I'm trying, I mean, the train is leaving the station. This isn't, it's like if, it's like if you're in Nazi Germany, right, you know, right before the Nazis take over, it's like, get on out of here now, mm-hmm. you know? And, and she was like, you know, thinking I was being a little, you know, a little um, over the top on it, right? That I had maybe done a little too much reading. 
And right. she's like, listen, you know, Mark has been good for a long time. You know, it's going to take us a, it's going to take us a little bit of time because we got to find an agent. We got to, you know, we got to get the house ready. Well, to she's show. not without business sense herself. I mean, she's, no, she's, she's got, she's got a, a lot of business sense. Yeah. She's a, she's a, yeah, Sandy's a very, you know, she's a smart person and she's an undergraduate degree in economics. She's no dummy, but you know, um, but she was more in line with with ninety nine point nine percent of everybody else, which was like you know they don't really see a problem. They're not seeing that there there was no shakiness in the market overall yet, right? Everything was strong and still going up. And um, I was convinced that that was not going to be the case. And so we took a little too long, you know. You know, it took as it takes. You usually take if you're going to sell your house the proper way, you have to you have to fix it up and find an agent and get it ready to show and list it and do all this stuff. And sometimes that takes two or three months. You know, because like the agent comes and says, okay, well you need to get rid of all these books and you get rid of this furniture and you got to like remove all these personal items and you have to get well everything to storage. I mean, it just takes time, mm-hmm. right? I was like ready to like put this thing up on auction. <laughs> you know, I was like, let's just take whatever we can get for it. And um, to her, that just came across as silly, I guess. So as it happened. And by the time we, you know, had it on the market, like in January, it was too late. It had already, yeah. it had already become, it already seeped into the consciousness of the overall housing market that um, things were looking a little shaky and all the buyers were starting to step away. But were you in debt at this stage? Not really. No, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't in too, uh, we weren't in too bad of debt. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we had, a, we had a little bit of credit card debt, but mm-hmm. nothing major. And, but then well, we tried to sell it for like, I don't remember what it was, three or four months, maybe yeah. longer than that. And, you know, we had a lot of people walking, but nobody was buying. And I think one of the reasons I th- that I think we had a hard time selling was, aside from the overall market, was that we, had, we lived in a condominium that, ha- that was a condo conversion where there were, they were apartments that, were, that a developer had purchased and uh, redone and sold as condos. And only two of the 39 units um, did the original residents stay in their unit and buy the unit that they were renting and, 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 and buy it, right, as a condo. Yeah. And we were one of them. And we saw that the, the, the workers, the kind of work they were doing, and we thought, you know, they said, all right, well, we'll redo your place for 30 grand, new kitchen, new bathrooms, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we're like, you know what, for 30 grand, we think we can do better. We'll mm-hmm. do our own. Yeah. But we just never got around to it, right? And our, our, our stuff looked like an, like an older apartment, yeah. right? Older kitchen, older bathroom. So, you're in, and these and these places are selling for half a million dollars, right? We have like a three bedroom, you know, vaulted ceiling condo kind of thing, right? In, in Pasadena, so it's selling for half a million dollars. So, so that was the reason why people didn't buy it because you had an outdated uh, general kitchen and stuff like that. The way I see it is like, the way I, the, my my logic was like, look, if if people are buying a house, sometimes they'll look at it and go, well, you know, we'll, we're going to buy it up and we're going to gut it and, and clean it up. But people are buying condos. The reason they're buying a condo is they don't want the overhead and the headache of a house, mm-hmm. right? They don't want to do yard work. They don't want to do a bunch of, they just, they're usually like young professionals or young couples that are both working and they just don't have the interest um, to deal with all the headache of owning a house. Condos are great for that. It's like low maintenance life. So life. did you decide to do it up then? Yeah. So then, so what we realized is like, well, if we're going to sell this thing, we're not going to sell it as is. So the only way we're going to sell it is if we upgrade the kitchen and the bathrooms. And I was very hesitant about doing that. It was kind of like putting money into a car that you're trying to sell. Usually it's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but I, otherwise, we were just going to get saddled with a, with a, with a um, house that I felt was going to drop a couple hundred thousand in value um, based on the research that I had been doing, that it was just going to just drop like a rock. And we were never going to be able to pay it off. So how much right. did you 
Bart and put it. So, well, we, we initially, you know, we had tons of contractors come by, and then initially, I think we were going to get all of this stuff: hardwood floors, the brand new kitchens, granite, and you know, just top of the line everything. Just going to trick this place out. It's going to be beautiful, right? And it was going to be about thirty-five grand. Mm-hmm. You know, thirty-five grand. We're like, all right, that's okay. We can do that. What well, ended up running sixty-five. How did it? At, how did it go from thirty-five to sixty-five? I have no idea, man. It's just like it's just what it's just what happens with like these remodelings. Is sometimes they just get away from you. You like you run into something and there's a problem and you got to fix that and then you it's just so you should have gone with the original thirty. Well, what happens is you get in and it's just like you can't finish the job because you know the contractor's like, listen, you know we have to rewrite these pipes and this is the thing and that's going to cost fifteen hundred and this and that and this is going to cost two thousand and just like man. Yeah, but what I mean is you should have gone with the first offer that the 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 condo people gave you in the first place like two years before where they said we'll do it for thirty grand or something. Yeah, well, I, yeah, that was forty four years prior. I mean, yeah, yeah sure, but um, so we ended up spending sixty five grand and guess where that went? I have no idea. On credit cards, right? Because you oh, couldn't. Dude. We had taken out. We had taken out. Um, you know, a uh, a line of equity, home equity line of credit already to pay off credit cards before, and the banks were already starting to get a little nervous about issuing additional credit and things like that. So we just put it on the credit cards, you know, and um, and a little bit of savings that we had, and uh, you know, fixed everything up. But when it was all done, uh, it was too late in two thousand eight. Like the market completely started falling apart. That is yeah. unbelievable. So, sixty-five on credit cards. Oh my god! I mean, that's twice as bad as the debt that I'm dealing with. Yeah, and Sandy doesn't work, right? It's all on me. Oh my god! Right. So, essentially, so, what happened was we, you know, we limped along for a little while, and then Sandy started doing some research, and she said that you know she found some debt consolidation services, and then she found one that was really good. It's like a nonprofit. They don't make any you know real money off of what they do is they consolidate your debt, and then you your all your money is really going against principal, not interest, and and it um they what they do you have to like get rid of your credit cards except for maybe one if not all of them, mm-hmm. and. Essentially, then you just you pay a fixed payment to them, and then they pay off all the the credit cards, right? And so we started doing that, and I think we've knocked off about thirty five grand. I think we're down under thirty now. That is upper fantastic. 20s. And how so? How long have you been paying that down? You know, I'm guessing you know whatever, two, probably two years or something like that. Okay, right. So it's sort of like a long term kind of consolidation plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, we don't put anything on credit anymore. Um, and it's all cash, so that's mean. I guess we've got to be a little safer now. We've got to keep putting money away and uh, make sure we have a savings account and we have a health savings account, which I've talked about in the past mm-hmm. and past episodes. Um, and so, yeah. And so, you know, I, I just just sort of to be honest about it, just say, look, you know, it's like you're not the only one who got into debt, right? And you can get into debt easily and for a lot of different reasons and it's not like you're just living the high life and being irresponsible and going Mm -hmm. crazy it's just sometimes you're not paying close enough attention attention to things or you put them on you think it's just a temporary expense and um the world changes on you all of a sudden all of a sudden you kind of get caught with your pants down you're like holy crap Mm -hmm. you know and uh yeah but i think as entrepreneurs especially as bootstrapping entrepreneurs you have to be you, you have to understand that, you know, you can be faced with situations like this and it's not the end of the world, but you got to fight your way out of the hole you just dug for yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Money just seems such an, like an ongoing issue. Like I, I really hope that one day I can just have that issue dealt with and resolved and then life is, is about creating and building rather than kind of just digging yourself out of financial hassle. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that it's like if you're not proactive about it, it it's like 
it will take advantage of you. You will end up in a bad situation if you're not proactive about taking care of your finances, I think. It's like, you know, some people like, well, I don't want to make a decision. It's like, well, by not making a decision, you are making a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, by not taking an aggressive stance toward, towards saving and paying down debt, getting yourself into a solid financial position, you're kind of, you know, you're probably going to get yourself in a situation when you're in debt because it's so easy to do. Um, it's like if you don't go, you don't watch your diet and go work out, well, you might look, look up one day and step on scale and realize you, you're 35 pounds heavier than you should or should be. You're mm-hmm. like, oh man, how did that happen? <laughs> it just yeah. can happen easily. And um, yeah, and I think as entrepreneurs also, you you know, it's one thing we have to learn, especially as sort of tech entrepreneurs, that we are sort of, we're so enamored with the technology, right? We have so much fun with the technology that a lot of times we don't, it's easy for us to sort of ignore and not want to pay attention to the financial side. But that's what it is, ultimately, is a business. It's about making more money than you spend. And so you have to get yourself to start paying attention to that stuff. And so it's a good lesson. You know, you're going to have to learn it one way or the other. Well, talking about technology, um, have you got any uh, topics this week that are tech related? Because <laughs> 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 I know this show, we probably haven't done too much of that. Well, I got a couple of just sort of random things I want to throw out. Yeah, go. Um, this is not tech at all, but I saw a really good uh, 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 sci-fi movie that I, I mentioned to you, Monsters. Did you oh, see- yeah. Yeah, I saw that movie. That's a great movie. We mentioned it. We talked about it a little bit. I think I brought it up when we were interviewing the guys from uh, who made Pioneer One. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a movie that was shot for very low budget. I think like a million or something like that. I mean, they, they make it sound like a buddy of mine who's in the industry said that it was not as low budget as they made it seem, but that was sort of part of the marketing. Yeah. That it was this gorilla shot. Like, but they did go down. They basically got in a van with two actors, a sound guy and a camera guy. Mm-hmm. And, and they just shot driving through Mexico and parts of uh, Central America. And uh, they shot the whole thing. And, and, and then they did the special effects sort of in post, obviously. But what's funny about the special effects is, so basically, the movie is about the fact that the world has been invaded by these monsters from outer space, right? Yeah. And there's like a quarantine zone. And they'll kind of do scenes in front of buildings and it'll have big signs saying quarantine zone. And, and it, the special effects are so good. I mean... You can't tell that those signs aren't on those buildings and that, Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, well, that was really... my question. I was like, man, if we interview this guy, I'd be like, well, how did you get all those signs made and how did you carry them down and like put them all over Mexico? <laughs> no, they didn't. They, 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 they're basically superimposed on the buildings, but just in, in a way that's so incredibly good, you just can't actually tell. Yeah, I see. I didn't notice that until like the day after I saw it. I kind of went to, I researched on the web a little bit, and I watched a couple of trailers, kind of the making of. Yeah, and and I, and they were showing them doing that post. I was like, that is amazing. I'm oh, curious. so you didn't you didn't even realize that as you were watching it because I knew, I, I mean, I knew the story that it was just a couple of guys, it was, but two actors, a camera, and a salmon. So I knew there was no way that they could have had the buildings decked out. That had to have been done with special effects. It was very yeah. impressive. Yeah, I thought maybe they had maybe a second car with some like uh, production people who were making signs and kind of on the fly putting them up or something. I, I didn't really think that much about it, to be honest with you. I mean, it kind of <laughs> sounds sort of silly that in retrospect that I didn't think didn't realize that. But anyway, um, it was really good. I mean, they shot the thing on some kind of video. I'd be curious what they used to shoot it. Um, but it was an amazing movie for something like a million dollars. And I, if anybody likes you know that kind of sci-fi stuff, post-apocalyptic. Uh, you know genre it's good it's 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 one but wasn't there kind of times where they had like crowd scenes and they had got the crowd involved and they just essentially asked people to do stuff and so then they they'd kind of film the scenes in front of an official looking building and ask people to walk by in a certain kind of a way 
Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like they <laughs> shot with two actors in a room. Like, it looked like a play. You know, when people, sometimes you'll see yeah, movies. Yeah. And it's like, it's very claustrophobic because they're only in one place. And it's, and it's just, it's, yeah, it feels like you're watching a play. No, they were out everywhere. And what they would do is they would just get regular people say, hey, can you just, you know, play this character? Yeah, just, and, just play this character or, or walk behind us like you're scared or... <laughs> <laughs> and then they just filmed the whole thing. Oh, they were fantastic. But the people were great. And, you know, the um, like, for instance, the guy who they were trying to buy the ferry tickets from. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, he actually was a guy who sold ferry tickets. And but he they probably said, listen, pretend that these guys, that these two actors are trying to buy these tickets for you. You don't have any left. And just, you know, haggle. they're going to haggle with you. And, you know, just you're not going to sell it to them. It's, and just it be was yourself. awesome. It was an amazing acting job because he didn't have to act. He said himself, you're like, if that guy was an actor, you're like, that guy's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you could not play that better, right? Yeah, and, and like, I, I don't know. You just have, you have to watch it. And it's, it's incredible to think that pretty much everything that goes in the background, which looks like it's so utterly integrated with the movie, whether it be the people, the buildings, whatever, it was all either done with special effects or just random people who happened to be behind them when they were filming. Right. That's very strange. Like, like, I enjoyed that movie more than District 9. Did you see District 9? You I did, actually, yeah. I mean, District 9's an interesting movie. I thought it was pretty good. But um, maybe a little over the top on the gore. Um, but uh, I thought Monsters was a more interesting movie. And, you it's know, a similar concept. Yeah, but what it, what it just showed, the reason I bring it up is, it, is they sort of bootstrapped the movie in a way, right? They shot mm-hmm. it, whether they shot it for 100000 or a million, I mean, either way, it's still nothing. It's a rounding error and a rounding error for, uh, you know, um, a movie budget, mm-hmm. right? And they had like a regular like high def camera that they probably could have rented for a couple hundred dollars a week or they could have bought for four or 5000 And they had some good sound equipment, but that was it. And it's just, it just shows you that you're really limited only by your creativity and your ability to maybe get a handful of other people excited about a project and, hey, let's do this thing, right? Mm. You've got some creativity and some energy and the ability to get other people involved. You can make really amazing things happen. And I was just, I was just amazed, amazed by the movie. And I thought I, I would recommend it if you like that, you know, if you like sci-fi kind of stuff at all. And, uh, yeah, it was really impressive. Another thing that was cool about it, I was watching on the Roku, my, the Netflix streaming. Yeah, I love Netflix streaming. Oh, yeah, no, it's awesome. I love Netflix streaming. I got the little Roku box, which costs like seventy bucks. Yeah, I mean, I still that's still one of my favorite technologies of the. Do you last- have um? Do you do you pay for cable or you do you just get everything through through we the have, net now? We have basic cable. Um, yeah. but we, you know, we don't have like Showtime and anything like that because we don't have. I don't really have enough time to watch too many movies and then if there is something we want to watch, a lot of stuff. To, you know, we can we can watch. There's enough good stuff to watch off Roku off of Netflix streaming they don't need to worry about it I would have thought kids TV would be a good premium channel for you to get well uh, you know when things do come on because you can check on the DVR and and when things are coming on you just record them oh yeah of course and also on Roku there's a lot of older stuff I mean stuff meaning like a few years old mm-hmm. um, or back and there's a, just a ton of movies and then of course I think Sandy joined some DVD club for like kids movies or something so we get stuff like that but uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's uh, that was a good one. Oh, and uh, while we're on the uh, TV movie stuff, Stargate Universe has like two two episodes left. I know. I've so I've got I've just got one to watch uh, already downloaded, and then there's going to be one for the for the today. Yeah, because the one I've got is called Epilogue, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm um I I got one. I got a, the the last one I have queued up on to watch tonight. Mm. I was going to watch it last night, but I was trying to get myself to read a bunch of stuff so I'd have some topics for the show. <laughs> so. I, I uh I didn't have time to watch it, but I'm just bummed. It's like ah, it sucks. 
Like the only thing left on TV is is Fringe, the only sci-fi thing. No, event, the event. Yeah, I guess. The event's getting a little better, but it's still not still not great. So I got one quick one I wanted to bring up. I'll go on. So I got an update on my extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. Oh, yeah, okay. So for any of our, anyone who hasn't listened to some of the past shows, um, I started uh, I started trying to apply the experiment to on my six-year-old son, Colby, and to help his reading. And he, he's intrinsically motivated to want to read this, you know, this uh, book. And uh, so we read like 15 minutes a night. That's working out really well. But I, sa- I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to say, look, if you can memorize, if you can learn 100 sight words a week, then we'll go get ice cream on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he loved it the first week or second week. And, you know, he's in well, like, I think we've, we've met, he's, he's memorized about 400 sight words now. So it's been four weeks. Cool. And these are hard words. These are like fourth and fifth grade words, like professional, musical, ridiculous, performance, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, these aren't, you know, baby words. So it's a little tricky, but he, it's only three minutes a night is about all we spend and he's able to do it. And it's funny. So I get a little feedback from the test subject. <laughs> he's like, dad, he's like, I want to go back to the old days where we could get ice cream and there were no sight words. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. It's like, yeah, that's what he said. It's like, I don't want to do the sight words anymore. Can we just get ice cream like the old days? I was like, well, no. Like the old days. Like the old days before there were deals like, you know, we would just get ice cream. Not every Sunday. I'd take him every once in a while. But I'm like, listen, we don't go like once a month. But now I'm like, I'll take you every Sunday. Do your sight words every Sunday. We'll go. No problem. And what does he say? He's like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were getting him like Lego things for sight words. Oh, we did that. Well, one one weekend uh, I said, do you want to get, I'll get you this, uh, a couple motors for like these, uh, these power, these, I guess these, I can't remember what, what they're called. They're like these power series of motors that hook into Lego so you can make these kind of cool motorized contraptions. And I, I got him um, a controller and motor and uh, battery pack thing when, when, uh, one week. So it's either that or ice cream. I'll get him some little thing. But I just thought it was funny. I think you should <laughs> get him. Co- the test subject wants the rewards, but he doesn't want to do the work. Yeah, he wants the rewards without the work. I think you should get him coding. So you could say, listen, you know, Colby, if you could just b- build this file object for me, um, you can have ice cream this weekend. <laughs> Justin will pay you five bucks an hour. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Justin's looking for some developers. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. But anyway, um, you got any other topics? I mean, I'll, I'll bring up one or two more things. Um, no, I don't, I don't have anything other than just, you know, what's going on in in my tech life <laughs> so i'm, I'm kind of done i think for this for this show um right you know one thing i wanted to, I, I i read that was kind of interesting was called a new way to teach math and there's something yeah. called is i guess it's a a new uh, i don't know what you call it like a methodology called jump math hmm. that some group has started i think it's got england but essentially what they do is they just you know they, uh, the way they describe it in the article is it, i think his teacher he was a tutor and he would he would look at like a a, a you know, a, a classroom of math students, right? And there's always the bell curve, right? The kids who do well at the top, the people in the middle, and then the people who are the stragglers at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and that we kind of have the situation where people are, they're either, they're a math person or they're not, right? And somewhere else, it became socially acceptable to say, well, I'm not a math person, right? Well, I just don't, mm-hmm. I don't know math. Like, it's okay not to know. Like, it's as if it would be okay to say, well, I'm just, I'm illiterate. I can't read, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that's fine. But you, 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 you could, you, you cannot you know how to read. That would be a problem, but not knowing math is, is fine, right? So um, the, basically what they did is uh, they said, all right, well, what we do is we go, we break everything down to incremental to very simple problems. So it's like if you break any math 
problem or technique down to a small steps, it's understandable by almost anybody, right? It's only when you skip steps that you start losing people. Hmm. And which is something you always talk about, right? No, any problem is solvable if you break it down to small enough steps. Yeah. I, I, I do bring that up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with that. And I think, and that's my frustration sometimes when you know, you'd have these math textbooks you know, and they would skip like nine steps, right? Okay. Well, we're doing this, we're integrating the, over the surface and there's this trigonometric and there's like this, you know, incredible, incredibly complicated series of algebraic uh, steps and uh, tricks and trigonometric substitutions. And you're like, and you're like supposed to have known that. Off well, because, yeah, they're assuming that you know the foundation. Basically. Yeah, but they, oftentimes they stick in some fairly tricky things. And it's like, you know, they're not making it easy for you, right? You're, mm-hmm. It's like if, if I'm explaining, you know, some new concept, you think that you would want to use the simplest uh, unrelated concept as possible to explain it. So they're not, you're not sort of conflating the two or you're not getting confused by one. Like you're confused by this old stuff. And it's like, you know, I used to tell people who, who say, oh, I can't do calculus. It's like, well, the hardest thing about calculus is pre-calculus because everybody forgets their pre-calculus. Mm-hmm. Derivatives and integrals aren't that hard compared to the fact that everybody forgets their trigonometry, you know? Um, and anyway, that's what they use. And, and, and lo and behold, you do it that way. And like everybody does like three times better. You know, and I just think I just found that really like like it's sort of one of these obvious things. It's like, well, why why isn't the educational system? Oh, why hasn't it been aware of this for the last fifty years? But you got to break things down to smaller steps. And also, rather than making like a test, like we go, we have a time. Rather than saying, you know, you advance once you've mastered this technique, it's like, well, we're going to do everything for a month, and then we have a test, and we're moving on, whether you know it or not. Well, then you're screwed. So you that mastered. isn't the way that it, that it works now, or that is the way. The way it works now is that you're in a class, you yeah. study some material, you give a test on it, um, you get your grade, usually a bell curve. Some people master it, some people sort of get it, and some people don't get it at all, and you move on, you st- and, you, and, you build, and you go to the next step. But if you have any holes in your knowledge because you didn't completely master the first stage, well, you're kind of screwed, right? You lose confidence, you really are confused because you didn't understand the, the, the you know, more preliminary stuff. And it should be so, like a video game that you cannot advance to level two unless you've mastered level one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, really, sh- I mean, if there's one thing that be sh- should be taught on computer, I think it would be through like, uh, you know, computer programs that you just kind of do problems and do tests and or whatever it is um, until you've mastered it. And then it goes on to the new, new material. I, w- I would actually love to learn math one day because I'm pretty, pretty useless at it. And I think that it would be awesome to understand math to the point where you could do things like um, animation with physics and stuff like that, which I just really wouldn't have the first idea how to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very doable. I, I think there is some pretty good stuff on, on, there's probably some pretty good educational stuff at this point. I mean, I haven't researched it myself, but you know, when you, when you do it that way and you go at your own speed and then it just kind of sequentially, you don't push through until you mastered the earlier stuff. I think there's, it's pretty hard to fail, especially if you have somebody who can help you out if you get stuck on something, if you do miss something. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if these math jump people or jump math, what's called, have have created an educational, any educational software to sort of go along with their curriculum. But um, I'm going to look into it because that would be really cool. Well, that sounds like uh, something that someone should create in minimum viable product. Yeah, to start charging. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that would I mean, now yeah, be interesting to contact those people. I think they have like ten people in the organization, so they probably are pretty early on. Uh, but you know, that would be just the kind of thing you could you know create an iPad app for, right? Mm-hmm. That would be pretty cool. So, um, what else we got? We got we 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 need one really good closing. All right, topic. Give me something good. Um, I just got an email from Odesk saying that uh, the guy who I've hired his uh, contract officially started just now. Okay. 
That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's all I've got to say about that. Wait, was any updates on any? What's the plug you update? Um, well, I guess the plug you update is that the growth, I guess the revenue growth is probably worth mentioning, isn't it? Yes. Um, so December, I so saw, I always go back to December. So to put it in context, so December, there was $819. January, there was $996. February, there was $1,109. March, $1,546. And April, which has just closed, $1,869. So there is a definite growth there. It's It grew 17% uh, on last month, this month. I like those numbers. That's good. I'm, I'm really liking the 60-day um, paid trial money-back thing. I think that is going to be the next the next kind of plateau in growth because uh, I've already seen from from when I switched it on kind of within the last ten days, right uh, or whatever. It's just it's just awesome to just get that money up front, you know, rather right. than wait for it. Yeah, that is. It'll be interesting to see every four months see what your data what the data says. Are you doing anything else other than changing that? I mean, what else have you done in the last couple months that improved the product or for, towards marketing or whatever? I just added um, a whole stats interface within Plugier so that you can look at statistics about how you're growing and you can also look at statistics about uh, how many tweets you've done a day. And I'm just about to connect it with Bitly so that you can also see the statistics with how many people clicked on your links and what country they came from. So at the moment, people have to go externally to Plugio, but I'm building the charts all inside. I use this charting system called Flot, uh, uh-huh. which is basically jQuery charting system which is kind of a bit weird and finicky, but it works nicely if you kind of work out how to hack it. And so I've got some nice looking charts in there now, and I think that's that's going to be a nice new feature. What what are the features of, say, something like Hootsuite that that, that, that don't exist in Plugio? I mean, what would what are the big things you would have to have to Plugio for it to be sort of compared um, on some kind of equivalent? Well, the statistics tracking that I just described basically is 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 the a really big one. So basically so that you can easily see, you can click when you post a link to Twitter and to Facebook, you can easily see who clicked it, what sites they referred, referred them and what countries and, you know, your whole kind of stats analysis about each link you, you post out. And I'm just putting that in now. So that's kind of a major one, but the really big one ultimately is um, a kind of a work group process. So with um, Hootsuite, a company of 10 people can use it and they, they they post a tweet which doesn't get sent out. It kind of goes to like a review queue so that three other people can say, okay, yeah, we're, we're happy to post this. Right. So right. it's like a kind of a group moderation system, really. How are you coming up with these feature ideas? Are these things that people are asking for or are you just looking at them in terms of some of the other competitors? Well, what? people are asking, people are certainly asking for the stats one. No one's asked for the uh, moderation thing. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that it's it's not even that far away from Hootsuite other than the fact that it's just different. I suppose the other thing is the multiple streams, but I get a lot of feedback that people don't like that, you know. That's one of the reasons why they like Plugier. Um, now, are you doing anything in terms of marketing? So, like, when you add new features, do you, say, email a bunch of bloggers in the Twitter space to hopefully get some coverage? No. Yeah, I mean, why not do that? I mean, that's something I, that... Yeah, I, I, sh- I should. And I'll tell you why, because you've only got so much kind of momentum and energy to move forward and do stuff, right? So that's what's so great about this outsourcing concept, because if I can do the outsourcing, then I will be able to move my momentum into things like reaching out to bloggers and things like that. 
Right, because that you know Michael Lewinsky of uh, Nasby, you would talk a lot about that, right? So the, yeah. he would have sort of these big jumps in, in revenue growth every time he had, he released new features because it gave he could then reach out to some bloggers and and um, journalists and tech journalists and say, hey, here's some new stuff that you might be interested in talking about. You know, mm-hmm. this is why this is why Nasby's cool you know this is you can now do x y and z you know and occasionally you'd get no, i should up. totally get on that i'm I'm once again just like totally slack <laughs> so, what about what about the seo stuff that you were doing um so well the seo stuff so basically um the guy's still posting to the blog every day the blog is extremely active um it it has had a couple of conversions in in, in the sense of people signing up for the email course but okay. really, it's, it's, it hasn't proven to be doing very much at all. I mean, in terms of bringing search traffic or in terms of converting customers, it hasn't really done that much. So um, I've tried it for two months, and I think that I'm going to stop doing it and move to a much smaller version, maybe just do one blog post a week just to make sure that it looks active. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll think of other ways of, of using that guy. Or, well, did um, you, yeah. didn't you say something else that you had done that worked better at the SEO, which some grid approach that oh that, yeah yeah that, that was uh, the top five tweeters yeah and that's something once again i just need to get my house in gear and get around to it and is like putting out a thousand different subject matters for the top five tweeters that that one's worked better than the other stuff yeah i mean maybe try that it'd be interesting if you were able if you had the time to try that before um microconf because we're going to see patrick mckenzie there and if you have some evidence to the contrary because he suggested he he didn't think that was going to work yeah he said that yeah it's true he said that wasn't gonna so it would be very interesting and obviously patrick mckenzie knows what he's talking about but as we know context makes a big difference so what may work in some cases may not work in others and vice versa. So it would be interesting if you had some data say, hey, you know, just, you know, I tried this stuff and it actually worked in this case. And yeah. I'm sure he'd be interested in hearing that and finding out why it worked in, in your case and why he thinks it wouldn't work in other cases. So do you have anything to, to wrap the show up with? Any kind of interesting little Jasonism or strange little tidbit? Do, do I have an interesting Jason? I think the whole show has been uh, Jasonisms. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, bring up i have a bunch of more off topic stuff but i don't you know i think we were we've we've been off topic most of the show but i thought there was a cool article um i read about elon musk who um he runs tesla motors you know the tesla oh, yeah. car he also runs spacex like they they just have some gigantic uh, rocket that they've that launched like i think it's orbital space it's that nasa is going to contract with them to deliver uh, satellites and, and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and i think they actually may I have to. I'd have to look into it again, but I think that they they may actually contract have contracted with NASA to deliver cargo to the space station or astronauts. Maybe not astronauts, but definitely cargo. That's awesome. So, and well, I also saw them in the news recently saying that they're committed to getting man to Mars. Yeah. Well. Okay. That's Elon's like long term vision, right? He's he's a dreamer, and he's like you know, that's one of the things he wants to do. Um, but I, what I think is cool is that. I mean, I'm very impressed with people like Elon Musk because he just sets out to do these really big things and he's going to do more and he's actually doing two really big things, mm. right? I mean, his, I think he, he got his big start with PayPal. That's where he made a bunch of his uh, wealth and was able to pursue these things. Um, and, but he didn't just sit back and, and do, not do anything or just passively invest in other, other people's ideas. I mean, he had really big world-changing ideas that he wanted to go after. He wanted to get uh, cars off of uh, off of oil, right? Mm-hmm. Off of gas. I mean, you know, um, or fossil fuels, and 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 sort of 
do electric cars the right way, not have these hokey, weird-looking things like go-karts. It's like, let's build a car that looks like a Ferrari, run, runs like a Ferrari. <laughs> you know, you know, it was a, that was an actually really interesting strategy because it changes your perspective about what electric cars could be. Yeah, sort, of, sort of like Apple, you know, like as if Apple decided they were going to build electric cars. Yeah, they just, they just, you bring a, build a top end thing. It shows people that, I mean, maybe most people can't afford it, but then later you bring out the more affordable sedans that costs, you know, I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60 grand or whatever they're going to cost. But the, um, you make it desirable, basically. That's, that's the thing. He's making it desirable. Right. You make it desirable. And, um, I don't know. I, I love reading about, you know, people like Elon Musk. He, I mean, he's sort of similar to Steve Jobs, I think, in that way. And he's just building stuff that he wants to exist in the world. Mm hmm. And he's going big. I mean, he's going really big. He's not playing it safe. And he's not just, um, yeah, and he's not, he's not just, you know, he's not just passively investing in other entrepreneurs, which I think it's great when entrepreneurs are, you know, they achieve success and they're willing to, to invest in other entrepreneurs. They're willing to um, advise and mentor and, and give other people opportunities. And, uh, you know, obviously they benefit from it too because they can, if things work out, then they can increase their wealth. That's great. But I, I think it's really cool that they just, they just can up the ante. It's like, all right, now I'm going to go really big. Right. All right, Jason. Well, your task for this week is to get Elon Musk on the show. Yeah. Right. I think that's, uh, that would be, uh, well, we had the, we had the guy from double click that, you know, he, he had two, two, <laughs> Uh, plus billion dollar companies that that he um, exited on. So <laughs> why not Elon uh, Musk? I wonder how I wonder how many like degrees of separation are between me and Elon Musk. I wonder how many people I'd have to go through to get him get to him. Oh, that's that, can, I don't can, think can, just... can that be the title for the show? <laughs> how many degrees of separation are there between Jason and Elon Musk? Nine. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. know. So far, you know, I I have. Uh, I mean, because you'd, you'd probably, ha- I probably have to work some connection. I have to use work a connection of a connection, and I have to think really hard if there's somebody. I mean, the only, the only person I think I know who knows him would be Jason Calacanis, mm-hmm. and Calacanis isn't like my buddy, right? We've we've interviewed, interviewed him on the him. show. Mm-hmm. We interviewed him, and he was fun to talk to. But I don't know if I send him an email. I guess I could try. Yeah, go and give it a, a go. Long, it'd be a hell of a long. I guess go big or go home, right? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maybe that should be the title for the show. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.